The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview, you know what to do by now. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Give yourself the gift of truth. After years of extensive research and review, including infiltration into America's fraternal lodge systems, seven years of active membership in the Blue Lodge of Freemasonry, and nine different esoteric orders, exclusive invitational groups like the Masonic Rosicrucians and the Knight Masons, tonight's special guest reveals for the first time the prosecution of a secret war conducted within the ranks of the world's oldest and most powerful secret societies spanning the history of America, humanity, and beyond. Tonight's special guest is Freder X, right now on Veritas. Freder X is an author of both speculative fiction and critical research. He is a lecturer of esoteric philosophies, occult sciences, and mystery traditions, and a former member of nine different esoteric orders, including the Knights Templar, Knights Masons, Order of the Sword of Bunker Hill, Masonic Rosicrucians, and the Ancient Order of Druids. Frederick X is considered a prolific analyst and commentator among his Masonic peers. And to purchase Frederick X's new book, titled The Secret War Inside Freemasonry, and learn about his work, visit his website at middlechambermedia.com, which is also linked at ours. And directly from somewhere in the United States, I would like to welcome, for the first time on Veritas, Freighter X. Hello, Freighter X, and welcome. Hello, Mel Fabregas. I'm so glad to be here. It is an honor to speak with you finally. I feel like we kind of dodged each other sort of shadowed each other for a few years there uh, back on old American Freedom Radio Network. And it's I always had the intention of having a conversation. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Well, here we have it. And I guess we we're both busy trying to get to our own path to the truth. But finally, our, our paths have converged. And I look forward to the next two hours. And the first question I have for you, and I hope you don't take offense because I'm going to ask you this question right from the beginning. A lot of people who are listening to us are listening to all these words, Knight Stampler, the Freemasons, the Order of the Sword of Bunker Hill. A lot of these organizations, some people attach them, link them to the powers that want to be. 
So those who are listening to us who are saying, why should I trust Frater X if he belonged to all these organizations? Well, that's a great question, and it's one I get all the time, and it's something that I've had to learn and deal with, you know, the fact that that's fresh and foremost on everyone's mind, you know, and, and I can understand people's apprehension, especially people in this genre of truth seeking that we have with these shows like yours, like mine, like so many others out there and the conferences and the websites and the blogs and the forums and everything related to the elite global power elite controlling our world and uh, the idea of a secret society at the core of government and at the core of all levels of media and, uh, you know, just basically at, at the wheel of all the controls of our society. So, yeah, how, why trust a guy like me? Well, first of all, let me say that I started out as somebody just as skeptical and just as, a, you know, a concerned and afraid of the, the what the implications I found looking at all the the bad press out there with relation to secret societies and global power elite, dark occulted mystics in our, in our reality and shows like yours. Let me just say for a second that I'm a huge fan of Veritas radio. I've been listening for several years uh, just to let your listeners know I've, I found it to be uh, a great place to get objective uh, understanding and that you unpack some of the most key points and the key issues that are, are foremost in our, in our culture that should be at the forefront of people's awareness right now. And I've drawn many guests from your rosters because you've, you've got there first. So I, I commend you, sir, on your work. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah. And so having said that, you know, I started out like a, like a, a, just like everybody else, a true seeker. And along the way, I realized that I found a, a sort of a dichotomy or a, a contradiction. There was all this bad press and there was all this dark material related to it. But at the same time, there seemed to be, a whole other side, a, a more honorable, a more moral idea that the greatest achievements of humanity were being presented in a lot of the material that was uh, encoded in these systems, especially the fraternal esoteric orders like Freemasonry, Knights Templar, Knight Masons. Uh, and But, you know, just to be clear, there are hundreds and hundreds of orders attached to Freemasonry. So just because you find a few good ones doesn't mean there might also be not, you know, also not be a few ill-intentioned one. But aside from me finding this dichotomy, I also discovered in my own family history, while I was deep into this research about trying to understand what was Freemason, because what happened was, is my stepfather, when I was about 25, he joined a lodge in my hometown. And I was already research and Freemasonry, but I really stepped it up when he joined because I was concerned. I, di- I didn't understand what this thing was and I was trying to understand. So then I found a lot of negative stuff and I kept researching it further. But then at the same time, I found more and more, uh, it would seem like edifying uh, aspects of the enlightenment and the Renaissance attached to all this. But in the middle of all that, I discovered my own family history that, that went back to the ninth century Ireland via Scotland. And I actually was connected to a clan that were the lairds of a area of Scotland. And it turns out from America all the way back to Scotland, my family were all members, initiates of these 
different orders and secret societies and little, you know, groups that sprung up across the landscape of colonial America and 19th century America. So it seemed as if it was destiny, Mel, to me, because it was like something out of a maybe an H.P. Lovecraft novel or maybe an Anne Rice book or something where you find out all of a sudden that there's this destiny that you you you, you could only have imagined that you're you're uh, in this line of people that were all involved in the mysteries and what that was. And for me, I, as a person raised in the West, I had to understand this. And what I realized, having been exposed to ceremonial magic systems very young in life, I realized that the Western mystery traditions contained the body of the West, the, the Western mystical experience, if you will, that had been repressed and suppressed by the church. And what happened was, is in the Enlightenment, and well, first of all, in the, in the Renaissance, in the time of Michelangelo and Leonardo, uh, a lot of the material that had been repressed, a lot of the Neoplatonists and the ancient lectures and philosophies of uh, all the Greek and Roman greats that had been suppressed by the church had been maintained and preserved by the Muslims and the Moors of the Mediterranean region had transcribed and saved of Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and all the uh, other hermeticists like Bruno, you know, that was, uh, and so many other Neoplatonists uh, who had really an understanding of consciousness and the universe that was key and essential knowledge for understanding who we are, where we come from, and where we're going. And so without this material, we are at an, a decided disadvantage. And young in my age, probably in my, my teens, I was exposed to Zen Buddhism and other Eastern ways of liberation. And what I consider these to be is almost like an inoculant, Mel. They, they can wake up the, the Western mind that has been repressed, that, that, that shamanistic, mystical tradition that was not allowed for the, for the European Western mind to think about during the, the reign of the magisterium and the Inquisition. Well, it got freed up in the, in the Enlightenment when the, when the Moors let the you know, other people look at the material and started getting translated. And then, of course, during the Enlightenment, you had, from the Renaissance to the Enlightenment, you have John Locke and Voltaire, and, and now you have people being allowed to read the Bible. It's translated in King James Version, and now we have people gaining access to the divine on their own and craving a mystical understanding. And, and that's where the fraternal esoteric craft Mason lodges were born, was in that transition from the Renaissance to the Enlightenment. So in my own self, I realized after being exposed to the ways of liberation of the East, that there was something buried, something suppressed and hidden deep within the Western consciousness that was that needed to be awakened and opened up. And, and what I realized now was that I could find that tool or tools in the great toolbox that is the esoteric Western fraternal systems in America, the, they really are forms of ceremonial magic, but not in the spooky witchcraft Hollywood way, something we can talk about more in the show. But I don't know if that helps, but that was why I went into the lodges was to gain understanding of these things. Now, what I found is what I describe in this book that I have called The Secret War Inside Freemasonry, which, by the way, my website is middlechambermedia.com for people who want to go check that out. But uh, this this is 
what my experiences are and what I research to try to understand the, the origins and purpose of the system of ancient craft masonry, its true name, which we know of as Freemasonry. So why people can, can trust me is, well, number one, I'm no longer a Mason. I, I went through seven years of active membership, and then I deactivated my membership right when I began, well, right before I published this book. And I, I was dissatisfied with my experience in Freemasonry in general, and I, descri- I describe it as such. But I, I also talk about the things that brought me into it and, and what, these, what these things are, the ideals I think that I felt I lacked as a person and, and you know, from my own personal experience and that I wanted to gain greater understanding of for my own. So it's kind of, it was kind of a mercenary you know, reason in a way because it was for my own edification. I wanted to improve my education and understanding of all these things. And I wanted to dispel the fear. And you can only do that, I think, by facing and walking through things. Wouldn't you agree? Well, absolutely. Self-edification, I think that's very important. And, and like you, you know, many people demonize Freemasons, they demonize some of these organizations, but like most, most of the people who are part of it, I bet you they're nice working people who want to just learn more and learn the truth that has been hidden from us. Yes, there are some some groups on the top, and we can get you know around this later when it comes to the 30, 33rd degree and, and, and so on. That, that, that those are you don't earn them. They're a, you're appointed, if you will, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it's an honorary degree, honorary. which means you do nothing. You do nothing to earn it. Oh, really? Can you go? Yeah. For example, I'm thinking of Ron Howard. You probably have heard of how he became a 33rd degree Mason when the movie Apollo, uh, you know, the Apollo movie came along when he was not before. In just a matter of months, is that possible? Can somebody just become a third, 33rd degree Mason? honorary without having to go through the first through this 32nd degrees absolutely the the inspector general of the supreme council can make someone a 33rd on site he doesn't even have to do a thing he can be made one on site he can give it to him for free or usually people pay for it that's that's usually the the way it goes and why does that happen why does that happen why does somebody get a 33rd degree because of the influence that they have in society maybe yeah, there's two, two or three good reasons. Number one, they, they, have, they hold some sort of sway in, in society, and the Supreme Council would like to recruit them so they can use them as a key you know, operative for their sure. agenda. And so if they're rich or if they're famous or, if, you know what I mean, they have some renown or if they have some sort of persuasion, they're political in the group, then they'll be recruited for that purpose. And they'll be offered it oftentimes for free or, again, at a reduced cost, or maybe they'll pay it. Because they are, you know, they are, they can handle it. They, they can afford it. But it's the, the other reason is a reward. You know, people are offered the 33rd for, for loyal, loyal service because there's a lot of political infighting and backbiting and, and maneuvering and intrigue going on in the administrative levels of Freemasonry that no one is beholden to and no one's going to talk about because everybody's sworn to secrecy. Well, I, on the other hand, am no longer sworn to secrecy. I've totally denounced my membership, and so I can speak of these things freely, and I can tell you that this is the this is the, the secret war inside Freemasonry is, is an ideological struggle, and right there in the heart of it is the, the Supreme Council 33rd. Now you mentioned Ron Howard being made a, a 33rd degree. This is clearly a reward because you know what people may not realize listening to your show. And they can find out more about this by looking at the research of David McGowan, who wrote Wagging the Moon Doggy. His website is centerforaninformedamerica.net, I believe. 
which uh, he talks about this clearly. And I've, you can find this research out in many other places, too. Read Dark Mission by uh, Richard C. Hoagland and uh, oh, I can't remember the other guy. Mike Barrow. Right now. Yeah, Mike Barrow. Okay. They talk about this, too. But the, the head, the program director of, the, of all the Apollo missions during the 60s and 70s, the head guy was a 33rd degree Supreme Council Scottish Grand Freemason, and he was the brother of the top Supreme Commander of the 33rd degree, the top officer, the guy sitting in Albert Pike's chair was his brother. Okay. The brother. And of course, all the astronauts, the Apollo astronauts who went supposedly to the moon, they were all 32nd and 33rd degree Scottish Rite Freemasons, which when you make a oath, you take a, you swear an a fealty oath. I don't know if you know what that means, but when you swear an oath of fealty, it's an oath of loyalty above and beyond all other oaths and all other pledges. You do that right when you apply, when you apply to become a member of the Scottish Rite. But when you become a 32nd and 33rd degree, and you also, there's a little knight court of, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Knight of the Cross Court of Honor, a C K C C H. And that's a little red cap. So you start out as a black cap in the Scottish Rite. And if you get brought into this little area, it's kind of like the Council of Bishops in the Vatican. You know how there's like the, the regular monsignors and everybody down there in the main, and then you got the Council of Bishops, and then you got the Pope, right? Right. right. And, you know, his little council. So that's the way it's like the same pyramid structure within the, the Scottish Rite Supreme Council. So you have the regular 32nd degree princes of the royal secret. They're all black caps, gold striped little bellhop hats. And then you have the Knight of the Cross Court of Honor, which are the red caps, gold stripes. And then you have the white caps, three thousand thirty-three. By the way, Neil Armstrong, I've heard from two different parties, one that he was a Freemason and another party saying that he was not a Freemason. Which is it? Do you know? Yeah, I don't think that, I think that Neil Armstrong may be a Freemason, but I don't think he's a Scottish right. I think he's one of the, the only ones that isn't, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But I'll have to research that again because somebody asked me that the other day and I spoke to look that up. I, uh, I, I think he's the one that's not a, a Scottish right, but he might have been initiated into the Blue Lodge, but he wasn't very active. He was, he's been a pretty reclusive guy. You know? Well, he died, but, he died, yeah, he died. but Buzz Aldrin, why wasn't he, and I've heard he's a 33rd degree Mason, why wasn't he the, the first man to walk on the moon then? That's a good question. He definitely did an initiatory rite when the sun was rising. He read the right. uh, part of the Master Mason, the, the, the third degree initiatory rite when you're being raised, the part of the ritual when you're being raised. And it's a quote from Genesis, you know, let there be light. And God said there was light, you know, that, so that, that, that part. And he also brought a little map, a little uh, pocket fold up map of the, the double-headed eagle. And he, they founded Tranquility, Tranquility Lodge number 2000, chartered through the Supreme Council on the moon, supposedly. So the Lunar Lunar Lodge. <laughs> Have you heard of the Sea of Tranquility Lodge? Yeah, isn't it? That's is that connected to? It? I think it's the same same thing, isn't it? Because uh, this one is in Texas, the, the Tranquility oh, Lodge oh. two thousand. Right, and isn't that the? It's in like the place where they the rocket program is, right? Brownsville or something, Texas. I'm not sure exactly, but I'm I'm on their yeah. website right now, and it shows the people yeah. and. Yeah, I think it's connected to the moon. That's why I see tranquility, right? Exactly. So that's what they established. Exactly. Yeah, they charted it to that. And it, that's all, I believe, empowered through the Supreme Council, too, the Scottish Rite. So, uh, <laughs> that's so, so why the connection with the moon and the Freemasons? 
Well, okay, so there's a lot of different directions we can go, but the reason why I mentioned the fact that the program director of the Apollo mission was in the Supreme Council and, and that the astronauts were all initiated into the Scottish Rite, or at least in the Freemasonry, is because when you join these orders, the, the first... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, Subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.